Hi, welcome to Connecting the Dots, the podcast where we share our stories from the battlefield of consulting. I'm your host, Johnny Hill. Hi, I'm Chris LaCava. Hey, this is Katie Hart. I'm Oscar Hernandez. Hey, I'm Kareem Jamal. Today, we're talking about all things product thinking, what it is, why it's important, how it's shifted and changed over the years, and where we see it going in the future. Let's get started. So to kick off this conversation, it might be good to start with kind of a general history of product management, where it's been, where it's going, and kind of what that looks like in our industry. Yeah, I think I can cover that, Johnny. Um, so it might be good to start with product thinking first. I think it's a logical, organic extension of design thinking, which if, if you're unfamiliar with design thinking, it's a school of thought that came out of uh, Stanford, I believe. And it really is a philosophy that grounds uh, designers and developers as well, and now product managers around this, this sense of, of gaining empathy for the user and keeping that user-centered design philosophy uh, through basically a agile iterative process of creating, you know, something works, software, whatever. Um, so if we look at product management taking on that philosophy, and I think it's relatively recently, at least formally, although informally it's been happening for a while, and you kind of um, look back over the past, I don't know, 15, 20 years, you can see how product management has, has um, shifted from um, its, you know, I, I guess, more traditional roots through to that more inclusive product thinking, design thinking set of philosophies. So if I remember back 20 years, I'm probably dating myself saying that, but um, <laughs> the product manager was a very isolated person that had a, at least in software companies, uh, I can't speak to other product companies, but in the, the software companies that I, was, um, that, that I was in about 20 years ago, uh, the product manager didn't have a lot of friends uh, it seemed like their chief uh, purpose in life was to say no, and they had to say no to the developers. <laughs> they had to say no to the salespeople. Um, they would disappear for a long time and then come back with a set of, of what we called MRDs or PRDs, so marketing-based requirements, product-based requirements, and then there were, there were development-based ones as well. Um, and there were these huge specifications for these long, like multi-year, sometimes waterfall-based, um, you know, specifications for, for, for development plans that, that spanned multiple years. And it was a very lockstep process. So a lot of times, you know, there'd be a lot of R&D in the beginning, then the product management and product marketing and strategic folks would get involved. They would write a bunch of specifications and there'd be some engineering involved with that. They come back down from the mountain and then reveal it to the development team and off they would go. And that with the advent of Agile over the past, I would say 15, 10, 10 years has broken up a bit. But what is really interesting and something that we probably should talk about within this setting is that the role of product manager has also been atomized. So there are people that wear that hat for sure and have that responsibility. But um, with this advent of design thinking and agile methodologies, iterative kind of almost like lean development philosophies, that product management responsibility is now shared 
between developers, designers, customers, um, a lot of a lot of other people. So a lot of I would say it's a democratization of that role. Um, once we kind of broke up that waterfall process and those philosophies start to seep in, that role became a lot more uh, collaborative. And I think those responsibilities were collectivized and um, a lot of people have ownership over the product, not just the, not just the person that, that is the product manager. Right. And that comes with pros and cons, obviously. Like, I think there, there are things you can identify that are helpful about having that less siloed approach where the project manager isn't like, like you were saying off on the mountain who comes down every now and then with orders from on high, but there's also challenges that can come with spreading it out that much. Right. And, and that, that can affect the whole process. Absolutely. Because uh, if things are democratized and collectivized, then when something goes wrong, whose responsibility is it? <laughs> <laughs> that's one. That's one problem, right? Um, but but seriously, I think uh, it's it, it was always kind of an ill-defined role. On it, if I'm being honest, at least like I said, my experiences in software. So um, you know, some people think it's a it's someone who runs the Scrum. Some people think it's a project manager, someone who makes the trains run on time and make sure that the scope is, is relevant. And a lot of those come from uh, product managers from an engineering background. They embrace a lot of that, that stuff and a lot of the more technical requirements. But then there's another side where product management comes from, which is the, the marketing side, the product marketing side of it. And knowing like, you know, the, the segments and the, the customers that you want to focus on, what the landscape is from a, from a market standpoint. So and it used to be that you got one flavor of product manager or another, depending on their background. And I see that as much more heterogeneous now. And in fact, like uh, my capacity at Xperio oftentimes is a product manager, but I come from a UX background and a little bit of development, but mainly, mainly most of my time has been spent spending doing UX. So that kind of speaks to that, that product thinking, design thinking philosophy. So I'm curious, I think it's worth spending a little bit of time defining because even just like saying, oh, we're talking about product thinking is kind of such a vague term or a vague uh, notion. I, it's probably worth spending a little bit of time clarifying, like, what does that actually mean? What does that look like? Which I think, you know, we got some of the background behind it with the history of kind of coming out of product management. Um, but yeah, what does it mean? Like what practically, what does product thinking mean and what does it look like to apply it to software specifically? I mean, thinking of a product, your your goal is to, to figure out what its purpose, what its what its main purpose is, and you're blending that from both the stakeholder perspective, from the like the whatever company you're working for to develop this product, as well as the customers you're delivering it to, and how the and how your engineering team or your development team is able to understand that purpose and bring it to market for you. So that's at least where um, I see the most challenges as a product manager and a product owner is blending all of those requirements and still maintaining that, that purpose for the product and prioritizing what's going to, what's, what's going to give that, um, that product an edge in the market. It's really the, yeah, as you said, Katie, it's like the holistic view taking input from all angles, right? We, we talk a lot about customer 360 and you know, knowing all the different aspects for the customer. This is sort of a 360 on product, right? Where you're looking all around 
trying to get all that information from the different angles uh, and view it for the different perspectives and put it all together in sort of one cohesive solution that you can deliver. Exactly. Yeah, if you if you take it back to design thinking, there's depending on who you talk to, there's five or six major steps of of design thinking: empathize, design, ideate, prototype, test, implement. So, I think from a um, I don't want to say myopic, but definitely if you're looking at design, you're really focusing on the form and function. Um, if you layer in that set of product based philosophy across that that's in my opinion in a nutshell product product thinking so um you know layer in the idea of what you know not only what is the user and empathize with the user but what is the what is the landscape both competitively and then also just disruptively what does that look like from a product perspective and what does the product life cycle look like you know as you're trying to implement so you have to think about things as how do you how do you launch a product? How do you maintain it? And then the part of the life cycle that a lot of people don't think of is how do you gracefully end of life it? How do you mm. how do you degrade it down gracefully so it doesn't hurt those users and you give them an off ramp and an on ramp to something else? So uh, I think as designers, a lot of times in design thinking you don't think about that, but product thinking injects that part of it into that same five or six step process. I would say lots of people still struggle with product thinking, right? It's just a new way to approach it. It's an evolution going one step above what they've been used to, right? So if they got used to design thinking, this is actually going beyond that and saying, as you said, Chris, you know, how does marketing play into this, right? How, how do you launch the product? How, how do we end of life it at the very end? No one wants to think about that. In fact, most people are befuddled when they think that, you know, what, what, how do we do product thinking? How do we even get started with it? Yeah, totally agree. It's, it's a, it's a new thing for sure, at least to me. Yeah. And I think there's also like a question that could be asked is everyone who's working on the team thinking about things from up or being asked to think about things from a product perspective, or is it really like, well, there, there are four or five key people kind of organizing and planning and managing the product and the direction it's headed, but everyone at a lower level doing the day in day out development and UX work aren't thinking about it from the product perspective. You know, is that the case or is it really the kind of situation where you want everyone to be kind of in the same vein of thinking about it from the product thinking point of view? They've worked on some projects where, uh, where when, when the intentions of the product are communicated to the, the entire team, the, the entire team tends to, get in line with that product and, and start thinking about how to improve the product from a product standpoint. So I've seen it go both ways, but, but I've also seen some success with getting the, the entire team on board. Well, and I bet in those situations, you, you uncover things that you definitely would have missed otherwise, because the people who were thinking about it at such a low level day in and day out have that different perspective. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone wants to feel that they're adding value and doing something meaningful, right? And uh, having them sort of part of these product discussions lets them see the bigger picture, the, the overall value that they're bringing out, right, with the solution. Uh, and so it's always helpful. It doesn't mean that they have to be in every single product meeting, but uh, as long as they stay informed and feel a part of it and see the overall vision, uh, that's always beneficial. Yeah, we're, we're blessed with developers at Xperia 
that take a lot of initiative and ownership over what they build. So I don't I don't know if it's like that everywhere. And some some of this might be noise to someone that just wants to kind of get get requirements and plow through something. But I think our teams in general, but our development team specifically, are above average on wanting to get into some of this big bigger picture thinking, I guess, and how how the product affects users uh, and what the what the overall strategy of that product is over its life cycle. And I'm sure there's an element there of like having effective leadership to cancel out some of that noise you were talking about. Like there's a point where you don't need to know every little detail about what meetings led up to this decision on this small feature, but having context certainly helps. So it's, yeah, I feel like part of it comes down to having effective leadership who knows how to cut out enough of the noise to where you can still have context, but still bring in those conversations and, and invite people to be a part of those conversations when they want to be or can be to help direct the the overall product vision. Yeah, that's a really hard balance to strike. And, and one I struggle with because I feel like I I waste a lot of people's time when I talk about that stuff. I go on ad infinitum and maybe I should just get to the point on what we've got to go build. But every retrospective that we have at least in the, the teams that I'm involved with, they always say, well, we want to know more about this stuff. Like give us a little bit more of the, the purpose and the, the bigger picture. So I'm honestly, I'm still trying to figure out how to strike that balance. And I think it, <laughs> it changes product to product, team to team. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I think um, depending on the type of leadership, sometimes you have business requirements coming from the top down and that's the only direction. But when you have, uh, when you have trust between the leadership and and the people working on the product, you can get that um, back and forth communication that, that can be pretty effective. I think there's also part of it that can affect morale too, because people want to know, I would say in general, like what's what's the big picture goal here? Like, what are we trying to accomplish? And if hearing like, oh, we're working with this company or this in this space that gets people excited thinking, oh, that's something I use every day, or I've heard of that company. I want to I want to work on something that directly affects them. Like I feel like there's just an element of when you're kind of just siloed off to the side, hammering away at whatever feature, and you don't even know really who's going to be using it or why. Not only do you miss the UX aspects of that and the product aspects of like knowing or being able to ask questions around who's using this and why and making it better, but there's also just like less purpose behind it. I feel like it's like it doesn't get you as excited. It doesn't like unify you with the rest of the team as much when you don't really know what it's going to be doing when you send it out. Right. That actually reminds me of uh, something uh, taking us on a tangent. No surprise there. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, as part of the great resignation, there were you know surveys and studies done on why many people have chosen to change jobs. And the number one reason wasn't money, even though it was an employee's market, right? The number one reason was actually meaning and purpose in what they're doing uh, and, uh, you know, conveying this information and having them uh, be a part of uh, why we're building this in the first place uh, actually gives them a lot of meaning and gives them reason to stay and, you know, give more into the product they're building. So I think, you know, one big part of the product world that I know, or at least a term that comes up a lot when we're talking about product thinking is like the, the MVPs, the minimum viable product, like what's the bare minimum we can do, get it out of the door and then get more funding and you know refine from there. But um, 
I know Chris and I have talked a lot about like some of the pros and cons of, or the concerns that come in or traps you can fall into with MVPs, especially when it comes to like the UX side of things and, and how UX is often sacrificed when you're just trying to get something out the door and it's really easy for things to fall by the wayside. So I don't know. I'm curious what y'all think about just like, what are the, some of those traps to watch out for when talking about kind of getting the minimum viable product out, knowing that improvements can be made, but how can you still make that MVP worthwhile, even though corners are going to have to be cut or things are going to have to be removed? I can talk uh, battle scars on this one. <laughs> I mean, ad infinitum, but that that empathize or that empathy step of design thinking um, can be a little bit intangible. And if people aren't keyed into that, then the things that are, you know, that that are important to your end users, but are maybe a little bit less tangible are the things that are usually at the height of the chopping, at the, the top of the list of the chopping block from a, mm. from a, you know, just cold, hard scope reduction standpoint. But you chip away at those things and it takes away, um, first of all, it may, um, you may lose the holistic aspects of the design. So from, from a, design perspective you want to design holistically and if you take little pieces out of that eventually you're going to you're going to you're going to lose too much of that holistic design and it's not it's not going to hold up but then in general just some of the nice touches that um just make products a little bit better oftentimes those things are stripped out in the in the name of mvp and i think um you have to be careful of that as a product manager some of that as you said at the end comes from the, the collaboration piece of it, when you have so many people that are having opinions or voicing challenges to how your product is being developed, you may have to take away certain differentiators or differentiating features of that product. And then it gets stripped back further and further to where it's maybe too genericized to really hit the market that you want at that point. And so you're constantly balancing what a minimum viable product is with what's, what is the MVP for that market that's, 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 still, going to, um, that's still going to succeed. Yeah, exactly. Minimum viable can't just be one-to-one um, -one parity with features for your competitor or what, what someone's asking for. There's there's stuff that's a little less tangible than a feature list, but is still important. And that's that's usually the stuff that gets cut by the wayside when when not everyone is plugged into the process and, like I said, loses that thread of empathy for the end user. And sometimes it just takes someone watching uh, or watching an end user try to use an application or use a competitive application or whatever. And you, you start to see that and lock into that empathy side of it. And I think you touched on a point, which is, uh, you know, if you're doing your MVP just off of a features list that doesn't tie and doesn't roll up to a product thought, you are, you could end up painting yourself in a corner because you might implement something at the end of the MVP that is actually at odds uh, with your overall product strategy, just because the way you've implemented it and your service design doesn't quite line up to what it needs to be for the over, you know, overarching product vision. And so you have to be careful not just to be driven by uh, features or tasks when you're doing these MVPs. Because some things like UI uplifts, sure, they can happen post MVP, but other things that are more structural or integral to the, the product you're building, uh, you've sort of made a decision and may, you know, gone forth with that. That's going to be harder to reverse and fix now. 
So what you're saying is uh, you can't just bring in a product person for the last month to say, hey, we're pretty much done. Just like button everything up for us. Correct. Yeah, if you're looking for a stamp, <laughs> maybe, but other than that, <laughs> uh, for success, you actually need uh, a product person well, well before the development starts. I think that's a common issue that people run into, though. They think, oh, product, that's for when it's at the end. That's when we're packaging everything up and we need to like, you know, that's for marketing and for like figuring out pricing and all that kind of stuff. That's not early on, but yeah, it's realizing how integral product thinking is throughout the entire process, but especially at the beginning before anyone write, starts writing code. You know, it just occurred to me as you were saying that right now, that maybe it's because the word production has product in it, that people think product is towards the end, right? Because you're productionizing towards the end. Mm. So maybe there's some roots in that. I don't know. Um, I think one, just, just to add to this, I think one um, benefit of um, MVPs is it gives, it sometimes gives a chance for the team to streamline their original design and their original thinking and determine, you know, couple couple months later, what, what do we actually need versus what we thought we needed at this uh, initial state time, but still has to be weighed against uh, all the traps that you guys mentioned too. It can also serve as a helpful like checkpoint to say, okay, we've gotten the MVP out. Let's assess kind of where we are now in light of, you know, where we started for deciding for the next release for the, you know, that's still all part of the product thinking processes. Okay. We've got the MVP. Now what do we do for the next step? I think it can serve as a helpful, just like, all right, catch your breath, look back, spend some time do a retrospective, that kind of thing for figuring out what, what makes the most sense from a product perspective moving forward as well. Yeah. This is what you said, Johnny is like kind of getting into the art of product management and product thinking. And if you have a good product person, that's that that's what separates them from the mediocre product management stuff that we talked about before. Um, if you're if you're a good product person, you're the custodian of the of the vision. And that vision is going to shift. But the the key to MVP and lean development is that you know you don't know how you're going to zig and zag and you don't know how much that vision's going to change over time but if you're aiming towards it and you're incrementally building things that are moving towards it that you can incrementally also test in the market then that's the way that you build out an mvp so you know what the least amount of um functionality that you have to build to test to go to the next step while and this is the trick without alienating your user base and in fact still creating enough value that they want to use your product and they can mm. maybe even see the vision with you and, and move towards that with you and that that's the the kind of soft skills that a product a good product person has and that that separates them from just you know people just punching through a list and cut and scope when when they got to get you know the line out of the red and into the black again mm -hmm. So one interesting thing I think worth noting is you know, generally speaking at Xperia, we refer to ourselves as consultants. A lot of the engagements we do are consulting engagements. So why do we have the audacity to spend a podcast talking about product thinking when aren't, aren't those at odds? Like isn't product and services, like those are two different things, right? I'm curious, uh, just y'all's thoughts, like what, what gives y'all the confidence to talk about product thinking and is it really that different from 
services side of things? Uh, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's kind of a loaded question. I'll 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 kick it off and then um, and then I'll I'll throw it out to the group. But um, the reason why Experio got into developing products was that we helped so many people build products over a long period of time, and we did it so many times, and we kept doing the same things over and over again. That at some point it made sense for us to basically take the learnings and even some of the technology that um, we've amassed over over periods of years doing things over and over again and start to productize them. So that's that's how we we, we were almost dragged into it. We it almost wasn't a choice. Well and I think whether you're doing consulting work on the um, services side or not, having a product vision and, and using product thinking throughout that process is still vital, right? Like just because you're consulting or helping someone build out, you know, these features or this, this thing, like it's still part of a larger product. And there's, um, like you were saying, doing that over and over again, and being in those conversations in the room with those people over and over again, you kind of start to recognize, here's how we can direct the conversation. Uh, here's how we can help guide through that product thinking process as well. Yeah. I mean, we really, Excel. We do we do a ton of things and a lot of things really well. But one of the one of the things that we really excel at is guiding people through that product process, um, from a technology standpoint, from a development standpoint, from a design standpoint, and from a product stra strategy standpoint. So those are the ingredients of a of a, a strong product organization. We happen to consult on it, but we we also can apply it to our own mm. our our you know our, our own aspirations to build products. We, we even say we, you know, bring a product factory, if you will, because we've seen and been part of so many engagements where, you know, comparing the ones that the solutions that were built without product thinking and the ones that were just seeing the difference. There's like a magnitude difference, right, of the value that is uh, that comes out of the one that has proper product thought uh, and a better future uh, as well. Those products tend to last longer, it's more cohesive instead of just a grab bag of features that were implemented uh, from a user uh, experience and customer experience point of view, things just flow better for the different personas uh, instead of just sort of being a data showcase, right? Where you just, you have this data, so you throw it up on the screen somewhere and yeah, add it as a tab or something, right? There has to be a better story around it. Uh, and so we've seen the value and that tends to be more of the engagements we're invited to nowadays uh, because of that experience we've gained and uh, the value we see in uh, proper product thinking. Would you say that like product thinking is what takes something from a cool proof of concept to something that's worth selling and worth investing in? Like, is that a, is that a helpful way to kind of boil it down or is it more than that? I'd say it's more than that. I mean, that's part of it, but it's, it's a lot more. Uh, even if someone's willing to pay for it, there's, hey, I'll pay for it because I want the service and I'll pay for it. And, oh my God, I can't believe I was missing out on this for you know my entire life. This is a great product. Uh, you know? mm -hmm. And in the latter, actually, product thinking uh, it opens up the door for more of the latter, where the, sometimes the customer gets more value than they even perceived when purchasing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's there's a certain frame of mind that, that you have to lock into when you're doing this stuff, and that is products are inherently risky. So the majority of them fail is the truth. And 
the, the investment pattern of them is that you invest up front. Uh, you basically make a bet that you think you have something that is that will succeed in the market. And then if you're successful, all that investment pays off and, you know, the, the stereotypical hockey stick, you know, type of <laughs> growth, right? Whereas a services company is more incremental than that. It still grows, but, but it, but it grows on a more linear, linear scale. Um, so when people, whether they're customers that we're consulting with, or, um, we're looking at investing in our own products, we it's, there's a lot of peace of mind to say that you've got a team that can help you through guide you through this process and that de-risks a lot of the inherently risky things involved in launching a new product or revamping a, an existing product you all have had experience in whether it's the delivery side or development or ux or whatever all sorts of aspects of product thinking so i'm just curious like any takeaways or lessons learned that y'all have kind of held on to or thoughts on kind of where this product thinking thing is going moving forward because it's changed a lot over the last several years i'm just kind of curious to hear y'all's experiences and predictions i guess i guess with the first part of lessons learned um as a product manager that has uh, that has experience in always um serving users secondhand one of the biggest things um, as you're developing the product is that collaboration and communication piece. And so as a product manager, you're, you're as, as Chris mentioned earlier, you're, you're the custodian of that vision. And so constantly communicating that vision, um, the requirements that come up, any type of UX challenges that you're experiencing, that's, that's, really, that's really key for the product to succeed throughout the development process. Um, there's been so many products that I've worked on that for whatever reason that wasn't communicated well and it failed either either on one side or the other um, for development, retail, marketing um, because of that. Yeah, so something that I've come across to probably go with like lessons learned is that a lot of people who purchase a product or want a product like to see it um, in the context of their domain. And so, you know, that's one consideration when you're when you're setting a, a product up or building a product to to demo it, for example. Another aspect of it is like um, sometimes people like it's, it's you have to decide whether you want to um, provide a product in a way that is kind of like a blank slate where um, where the person who has the product can just configure it the way they want it or uh, maybe it's a pre-configured sort of thing that uh, that the client can just get up and running with without doing all the configuration. I think we've come a long way from the, the days of the person being on the mountain up high. Or Chris said mountain up high. I was thinking more basement with a red stapler. But either way, um, you know, from there to, you know, everyone sort of being a product thinker, right? Chris often says everyone's a designer, right? And similarly, everyone is a product thinker. Um, and that doesn't mean you need to design by committee, or I guess in this case, product by committee. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, it does mean that be open to that feedback because you never know where you'll get those little morsels of aha moments coming from, right? Uh, that then you incorporate 
and the product manager still has to be the one that is, as as you know, said, uh, the custodian or the person that's accountable for putting it all together and making the decision, uh, and you know, driving the direction forward. I I 100% agree with Kareem for the record, um, and everyone else, but but especially what Kareem just said. Uh, okay, I'll uh, give you my lessons learned, and then I'll contradict it with where we're headed. <laughs> Like Let's a proper it. cliffhanger. Yeah, that's right. Um, so le lessons I've learned are to um, to actually go fast by slowing down. There's there's a lot of pressure uh, in a product role, especially to get things to market, get them get them out, and say that you know we're going to deliver this. A lot of pressure externally to say when is it when when can we expect this feature to hit? What does your roadmap look like? So what I've learned is. If you rush stuff and you jump over a lot of steps, you cut out the, the product thinking part of this stuff. You, you get to check the box and say you released it, but it turns out that never quite works right, or you didn't think through all of the, the pieces that, um, that you know, affect the, the customer because you're, you're too focused on releasing or, or getting things out to market. So what I've learned over time is um, to, to slow down a bit and give enough space for that um, coalition of people that Kareem just mentioned to 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 um, to basically go through that process. And paradoxically, you'll move faster if you um, if you slow down a little bit uh, in the beginning of that process, especially. Where we're headed is everything's accelerating, and expectations are accelerating. So <laughs> I don't I don't know how to slow it down. Right? It's it's uh, two opposing um types of philosophies but it's for sure true that uh, customers expect low code or no code experiences especially in the analytics space that we're looking at the analytics that you offer have to be more and more um real time um and the the user experience has to be more and more walk up and use so even at Xperia when we're, where we tend to focus on expert users um we're feeling the heat that the the basically this evolution and revolution and technology and the analytics space is basically um, turning into you know what we saw for example in the cell phone space with the with the iPhone right there's there's about to be a watershed moment where people expect things to be much quicker to market um, easier to use and much more robust and powerful and plug and play with with integrations that they already have. So it's hard to slow down and contemplate that when things are moving faster and faster externally in the market and expectations are going higher and higher and higher. Right. So it's definitely an exciting time, but also you know, kind of very uncertain, anything can happen kind of moment. And I think, you know, at least for me, the major takeaway is that no matter whether you're working in design or development or management or delivery, you know, no, no matter where you are, your team and your project will benefit from incorporating product thinking into the process and by inviting others to do the same. And we're always looking for good people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. If the kinds of things we discussed today pique your interest or get you excited, we are always in the market for good people. So please reach out and let us know if you're interested. Thanks for connecting with us today. If you have a complex software problem that needs solving, thoughts on what we discussed today, 
or ideas on what topics we should tackle next, feel free to reach out to us at podcast at experioinc.com or on Twitter at experioinc. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for joining us and we look forward to connecting with you next time. Thank you.